I'm a horrifically flooded basement that people keep walking through for some godforsaken reason, Taylor. And I'm the real horror of this movie, Ed Warren's fashion sense, Jemmy. And this is The Final Girl Files. This week, we watched not only my favorite horror movie, but my favorite movie, period. 2016's The Conjuring 2, directed by James Wan, starring Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, Francis O'Connor, and Madison Wolf. This movie runs in my veins. This movie is you. <laughs> I am this movie. It is of me. Yeah, if if you cut Jemmy open, she bleeds The Conjuring 2. It's really true, which is probably why you should go first in describing your memories with this movie, because I have a whole saga, and I think yours is just really short. Um, I watched it with you. Yes. I inflict this movie on everyone I know. Yeah. We watched The Conjuring, and I was like, oh, that was really good. And then you were like, you're not even ready for The Conjuring 2. And I wasn't. And it's it, it, it has quickly risen in the ranks as becoming very quickly one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It is phenomenal. I was, like, sitting on my... um couch like with my laptop like hunched over my laptop watching the conjuring on rabbit r.i.p and it was just it was completely wonderful and i just i had a wonderful time i had a wonderful time with the heterosexuals uh and i had a wonderful time being scared out of my fucking mind because this movie is this movie is very scary jimmy what are your memories with this movie i'm taking you back it's the summer of 2016 (laughs) Go on. Friend of the pod Meeks has just sent me a YouTube link for a trailer for a film. And I watched this trailer for The Conjuring 2. And I was like, oh, I guess that looks pretty good. The the Zoe, I saw like the Crooked Man toy. And I was like, why does that, that that's just the thing from The Woman in Black. Why are they ripping off The Woman in Black? <laughs> that was my like chief thought coming out of the trailer. Is that they were ripping off The Woman in Black. Like, insanity. Anyway, um... So I I saw the trailer for this movie. And I, I apart from being like, oh yeah, the, they're ripping off the woman in black. I was like, oh yeah, I remember The Conjuring being pretty good. I guess I'll go see this. And I saw this on opening night because that is what me and my friends used to do when we had like time. We weren't adults with jobs. <laughs> is that we would just go and see horror movies on opening night all together. Um, so it was me, Jamie, Jamie's partner at the time, and our friend Court. Uh, Jace was not with us, because I remember I took Jace to see this later on down the line, uh, and he was the first time he saw it. But I saw it, and I loved it, of course. (laughs) I have just, like, the most vivid memory of, like, clinging to Court's arm for the last, like, (laughs) like, 15 minutes of this movie. I was so stressed. I was stressed out of my mind. Not- I don't think a movie- the only movie that's only that's made me as stressed as The Conjuring 2 made me was fucking Hereditary. Yeah, Hereditary is a stressful watch. I I keep trying I keep wanting to say like no movie has stressed me out, but like Hereditary stressed me out that bad. I we'll get we'll we'll get to our episode on Hereditary one of these days. Um, you know when I feel brave enough to watch Hereditary again. <laughs> yeah, when you feel like uh, you can emotionally handle that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I saw it, and I loved it, and the ending especially really stuck with me because I thought that the ending was going to be, like, a jump scare, scary thing, and it wasn't. We'll talk about that later. It simply isn't. We will discuss the ending of this movie in detail later. I want to discuss it now. (laughs) My story isn't done yet. It's far from over. Oh, God. So, when I like a movie... I like to see it twice in theaters, or I used to when I had, like, time to do that and I wasn't an adult with a job. Um, so I went to go see The Conjuring 2 again with my friend Court and Jamie, and I believe Jamie's partner at the time. And we went, we, we, we saw it, and, like, some part, uh, partway into the movie, Jamie wasn't feeling well, so he just, like, went out. Uh, so we were like, okay, Jamie, go out to the car and, like, chill and we'll, we'll come drive you home when the movie's over. And then I get a text, like, halfway through the movie where Jamie's like, oh, hey, I threw up. Can one of you drive me home? And I was like, fuck, I don't want to ruin it for Court and Jamie's partner. So I drove him home. And something about having to miss, like, a significant portion of seeing this movie again 
absolutely, I believe, fucked with my brain chemistry. I think if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't, I would possibly not be as attached to this film as I am. Because, like, I, and I was fine with it. Like, I, I, I rushed to get there and back, obviously. Like, my, my house is only, like, 20 minutes away from the movie theater, so it wasn't, like, a super long drive. But something about being terrified that I was going to miss the ending, because I wanted to see the ending again, of course. Like, the very last scene. And if you've seen the movie, you know. If you've seen the movie, you know. And I like so I wanted to see that again. And I was like rushing, 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 trying to get back because it was like pretty close to the end. Like we were, I believe, at the part where like with like the first scene in the flooded basement. So I was, yeah. And something about like rushing Jamie home, rushing back, banging on the door to the theater. Um, it broke your brain a little bit. I think it did. Like, I was desperate to get back in because it was a really late showing. It was, like, the last showing of the night. And I had to bang on the door until an employee let me in and let me go back to the theater. And, like, I was fine. Like, I hadn't missed anything, like, super important. And I had already seen it before. But, like, later on, as I was lying in bed, I was, like, crying. And I don't know if it was, like, a weird hormone thing or, like, I don't know. But I was really upset for whatever fucking reason. So I went to then. go see it. So then I went to go see it for a third time just to be like, okay, I'm going to see this for a third time, see the whole movie, and I'll be fine. And that was supposed to be the end of it. And then you'll be normal. And then next, and then the next week, uh, Court called me and was like, hey, uh, me and my mom are going to the drive-in and they're showing The Conjuring 2. Do you and Jamie want to come? And it was all downhill from there. Like, we found out that The Conjuring 2 was at, like, the shitty dollar theater that we used to go to all the time. And we literally spent the entire fucking summer just seeing this movie over and over again. This is the movie that I have seen the most in theaters. I've seen, I saw it 11 times, Taylor. I saw this movie 11 times in theaters. Listeners, I want to, I, I, I want to say something. And that thing is autism is a hell of a drug. It's such a drug. It's a hell of a fucking drug. Oh my God. It was so, and like, I, <laughs> genuinely from the bottom of my heart that was the best summer of my life if you've ever like if if you're a neurotypical person you've ever been like i wonder what it's like to be autistic <laughs> seeing the conjuring 2 11 times in theaters that's what being autistic is that's <laughs> it that's of the definition if 11 you, times if you look up autistic in the dictionary my picture is next to it <laughs> there's also my picture next to it um which is a picture of me at age eight, like refusing to take the movie Aladdin out of the VHS player and crying when my mom tried to put another VHS in the player. Oh my God. That's also in the dictionary next to the definition of autistic. <laughs> and like this movie is kind of the movie that cemented me as a horror fan and also as someone who wanted to study film. Love like that for you. This movie awakened something in me. I owe so much of like everything I am to this movie and listen it is trickled down into my other hyperfixations because like even now right now like the Warrens are the blueprint they're the blueprint before we go on I'm gonna give the same disclaimer that we gave at the beginning of the Conjuring episode when we talk about the Warrens we are talking about the fictional Warrens that exist exist in the fictional universe of the Conjuring movies we know that the Warrens in real life were monsters and con artists and they were generally shitty people all very Just true getting that out of the way but you know but you know what but you know what the pretend Warrens who exist in the in the, in the movies and in my brain are my friends the pretend Warrens who live on the TV are my mother and father who raised who live me. In, who live on 123 Television Street. So we probably should detail the plot of this film because we, we, we need to start doing that. So, Jemmy, would you like to do it? Because you've seen this movie so many times. I feel like I would like I, to do I it. could never do the plot of this movie justice. Okay. Yes. Uh, this movie is a fictionalized adaptation of the Enfield poltergeist, which was a whole uh, paranormal investigation case that took place in England in this late 70s, I believe. This takes place in the late 70s, so I assume the actual haunting happened yes. in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. um, focused mainly around a little girl named Janet, who, with her family, begins to experience poltergeist-like activity in their home. Again, this is an another, like, family that is struggling and already having issues before the ghosts show up 
And then the ghosts show up and it gets worse. Um, so the Warrens are called in to help this family. And it's just, it's so disgustingly heterosexual. It's... They come in and of course the first thing they start doing is the family's chores. <laughs> yeah. Because again, much like we said in the original Conjuring episode, the Warrens, they show up at your house and they start just like doing domestic things in your in your vicinity. Um, yep. And while this is going on, the Warrens have their whole their own whole thing going on, wherein um, Lorraine received a or receives rather a message from a demon or a, a vision. Sorry. Ha ha ha. Let's just laugh it out now. You can edit that out. Uh, she receives a vision from a demon wherein uh, it, it, it calls back to the original movie where she gets fucked up majorly on a case. It turns out the thing that she saw during that was Ed's death. And this time the demon is like, hey, if you go to Enfield, Ed's going to die. Uh, so that's happening. <laughs> Conflict these all around. Love, these movies love one thing, and that's to put Ed Warren in danger. Truly, truly, they do not let this man rest. And I listen. Mean, to be fair, The Conjuring 3 kind of. So, like, The Conjuring 1 is kind of about, like, Lorraine is in danger. And then, mm-hmm. like, Conjuring 2 is kind of like, Ed is in danger. And The Conjuring 3 is like, Ed and Lorraine are both in danger, co intermingling because of something, something. I won't spoil The Conjuring 3, but there's a thing that happens that involves both of them being very much in danger. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll, this we'll, is a we'll... trilogy of just a husband and a wife fretting over each other magnificently. It's wonderful. God, I love them. God, I love them. I would do anything for them. Anything they wanted, they could have. They can have it. They can. All they need to do is ask. I want to be haunted just so that they can come to my house and fix my life. Truly. Like... Please, I will, I will, I'm going to get like a Ouija board out now and just be like, demons, come here. So, so Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga can show up at my doorstep and do whatever it is they do. Anything evil, come, come to my house, please. Um, holy shit, where to start with this movie? I know, I have, I, I, I have I just, so many thoughts. I have big I, thoughts, big feelings. Listeners, just so you know, on average, I have about like three or four pages of uh, notes per movie. I have six pages of notes for this movie. <laughs> yep. God, I, I literally don't know where to start. <laughs> so much. Uh, can I talk a little bit about the Enfield haunting? Please, that's a good place to start. So I did a little bit of research about the actual case that inspired the movie. Fun fact also that I learned in my travels. Jemmy, have you ever heard of the movie Ghost Watch? I have. I have heard of Ghost Watch. Ghost Watch is it. also loosely based on the Enfield haunting. Huh. They go in more of a found footage fake documentary direction with it. Right. Um, and also, just quick sidebar, Ghost Watch is also very notorious for having a sort of War of the Worlds type thing where basically they cast actual British, like, newscasters as the newscasters in the movie. Right, yeah. This is what this is how I know Ghostwatch, through this, like, whole story. And basically, like, people who grew up in the 80s in England, th- that this is, like, a big cultural thing where, like, people turned on this movie before they after they had aired the disclaimer saying like this is a movie this is fictional like this is all pretend but if you clicked onto the movie after the first five minutes you didn't get that disclaimer so there were a lot of people who thought this was like a real newscast and that this was like a real haunting that was being like captured on video by a new crew they like accidentally did a Blair Witch (laughs) Yeah, it was um it's kind of funny because it like they didn't set out to trick anyone. It was yeah. it was that it just happened. Anyway, so That's that very movie funny. I've also been meaning to watch. But I actually have also for a loosely while. based on the same um haunting. Huh. Uh which is pretty uh universally thought of by paranormal researchers, even the kinds of people who do believe in ghosts and paranormal activity to have been completely bullshit (laughs) yeah for a while honestly i thought because i had heard somewhere and i don't remember i don't remember where i heard this from but i had heard that like the girls themselves had come out and been like yeah we were just bullshitting people so basically what happened was that the girls admitted that they bullshitted people 
And then the so this guy, uh, the main uh, British paranormal investigator, who was actually like the main guy on the case in real life, Morris, mm-hmm. I think is his name. Morris Gross, yeah. Yes, Morris Gross. He basically like bullied them into redacting their oh admission that it was fake because he was very invested in the idea that he had found genuine proof of uh, ghosts. So basically, like, I think Janet was the one who was like, no, it was fake. And then Morris Gross, like, bullied her into redacting that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So that's, that's kind, kind of, of fucked sucks. up. That's kind of fucked up. Especially Turns considering- out he also was kind of shitty in real life. But, you know. You know what's, like, also, like, funny, but also kind of fucked up? Tell me. About, like, the real life investigators in this movie. Um, Anita Gregory, who is portrayed in the movie as this very, like, shrewish skeptic who is just kind of, like, evil. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's like, very, she sort of played off as sort of a one-note bitch character. She was, like, a badass in real life. Like, I don't, like, I, I think Meeks and I were talking about this way back when, so, like, don't quote me on this, but, like, she was, like, a concentration camp survivor, and she was, like... I don't know, man. Like, she did a whole bunch of shit that was, like, really fucking cool, actually. So it kind of sucks that she was portrayed as just a one-note bitch in this movie. Yeah. But, you know, The Conjurings, as much as we love them, they don't have a good track record of uh, portraying the people, the real-life people they portray as, um, you know, accurate. The way that they were. <laughs> the way that they were, Yeah. Yeah, but basically, like, it's it's a lot more basic than it's portrayed in The Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no sort of... Janet claimed to be possessed by a man named Bill, uh, but there's no evidence that there was anybody who lived in the house named Bill Wilkins or anything like that, like there is in the movie. Um, there was no corroboration, I mean, with any mm-hmm. previous person who had ever lived in the house. She just kind of did an old man voice and was like, I'm Bill. <laughs> and everyone was like, that sounds like a little girl trying to pretend to be an old man. Well, that's not the case in the movie. And, and you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna segue to the movie really quick. Let's Please talk do, about it. Because I that's pretty much all I have to say. It was it was pretty obvious bullshit, and um a lot of people really wanted it to be real, Morris Gross included, uh, and it just it just wasn't. <laughs> it just really was not. It was not um, real. Uh, and, and the Warrens were only there for like what two days. And yeah, they they, they showed up, and Ed Warren did that interview with Janet that they play at the end of the movie, and then the Warrens were basically like, I don't know, it's probably demons, and then left. Oh, I do want to say one thing. Yes. So basically, if you read about the story like anywhere, it's usually referred to as the Enfield Poltergeist, and not like the Enfield demon or the Enfield like like nobody ever thought it was like anything demonic except mm-hmm. for one Ed Warren hmm. um, because <laughs> Ed Warren loved to show up at like any sort of um, case where it was just pretty much a haunting or a poltergeist and be like no I think this is actually a demon and I think we actually need to do an exorcism. There's a quote from somebody. I, I should have written this down because it was so funny. But it was some other paranormal inv- investigator who was like, I think this guy actually did believe that there was something paranormal going on. But he basically was like, no, Ed Warren is lying out of his ass when he says it's demonic. Like, Ed Warren loves to show up and pretend to see demons everywhere he goes. Ed Warren will show up and just be that one Eric Andre meme. What if it was demons? What if it was demons? It's that that I find that really funny that even among other paranormal investigators, that was like the Warrens' reputation mm-hmm. is that they would show up and be like, I think it's demons. And they're like, I guys, I think it's just a ghost. I've mentioned on this podcast that my uh former singing teacher, my former voice teacher, has beef with the real life. Oh, no, sorry. My former voice teacher has a friend who has beef with the real-life Warrens. That rules. And the friend is, like, a paranormal investigator. Like, I don't know if anyone here or anyone like, listening has seen- Like, every single paranormal investigator hates the Warrens. Yeah. I don't know if any- incredibly funny. Like, because they were pieces of shit in real life. So, like, I, I think that rules that, like, other paranormal investigators hate their asses. If anyone has seen Ghost Hunters, I believe the friend is the demonologist Carl that they bring on. Which is just- like, New England in general is just a creepy small town where everyone knows everyone, and this is proof. 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, segueing into the movie, and we're going to talk about James Wan's use of practical effects, because if you know James Wan as a director, one of his things that he does all the time is that he uses practical effects as much as possible. Um, it's, which is funny when things happen, like people saying that the crooked man in this movie was CGI and James Wan having to take to fucking Twitter back when he had a Twitter and be like, no, guys, that's just Javier Botet and he can move like that. Javier Botet is awesome, by the way. I love he him. He is. He's wonderful in this. Um, But one of the practical effects that they did, and I, I think they must have touched it up in post, obviously, because the voice of Bill Wilkins in this sounds, like, kind of ghostly and spooky, but they had, like, a guy behind the couch that Janet is sitting on in the scene where she's being interviewed, just, like, doing the voice <laughs> and her, like, mouthing along with it. It's one of it's it's one of my favorite stories about this movie. That's kind of amazing. It's wonderful. I just think that, like, everything in this movie is so well done in terms of just like getting you to be very near to pooping your pants the entire runtime like it's so like you could cut the tension in any given scene in this movie with a fucking knife and it rules james wan knows how to do tension so fucking well and you know yep. what i'm just gonna come out and say it about this movie i think this movie is his fucking masterpiece i'm biased but i think this movie is like all of the James Wan things TM done the best. I think this is like such a wonderful showcase of all the talent that he has. I I just love it. <laughs> Even beyond like, you know, the, the heterosexuals, which of course there's a huge part of why this movie holds such a, a large portion of my heart. But even on like a technical level, this is such a good movie. So good. I love it. Um it's just and a good time, too. Like One of the things that I think James Wan does really well with his jump scares is that he always makes them have a payoff. And if there's not an immediate payoff, like if he fakes you out a little, it's because he's elevating the tension. It's because he's like ratcheting up the tension and making you like pay attention. And then there's the payoff. Some of my favorite jump scares, some of my favorite types of jump scares rather are the kind where it fakes you out and then a character turns around and there's something actually scary there <laughs> and this movie does that really well yes which to me that's the best kind of jump scare because it makes you jump and then you have a moment of like whew everything's fine it was just a fake out and then it hits you right when you're like catching your breath it's so good i think the best example of this not not quite that but like of the sort of ratcheting tension is the scene where Janet is homesick and like thing like spooky things just keep happening in the living room and it just elevates and elevates and elevates until finally there's that big payoff at the end with uh, Bill Wilkins appearing over her shoulder and screaming, which like also in that scene, let me just put it out there. You know, it's a demon because it wants to watch Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, you've said that before and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it during that scene. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I got it from Friend of the Pod Rhea, so I can't take credit for that. But it was, I believe, Friend of the Pod Rhea's, um, uh, one of her reviews on Letterboxd. We all lo love a gender neutral bathroom. It's true. I feel like what? every time we bring up Thatcher on this podcast, which is like, I think a couple times now we brought up <laughs> Thatcher on this podcast, and we always bring up the gender neutral bathroom joke, but like, it is a gender neutral bathroom. It is. You can pee there for free. You can, and the cops won't stop you. And the cops, I mean, the cops- They probably will. They probably would, but- They probably will stop you, actually. Don't don't take legal advice from from a shitty little horror podcast, but- that's when you pee on the cops, actually. Yeah, then you then you have to pee on the cops. <laughs> and then you get arrested for peeing on the cops. Also, at the beginning of that scene is another really fucking fantastic practical effect. Did you know that that transition from the night like the nighttime scene before to the daytime scene next is practical, done in camera. Um, they just switched up the lighting. And had Madison Wolf, the actress who plays Janet, just like fucking book it from her mark to the couch and Holy throw God, her robe really? on. Yeah, it's all practical, baby. I James Wan is just that bitch, really. He's just that powerful. He can do anything. Can I just say, I, uh, I just want to skip to like the beginning of this movie. My favorite, one of my favorite things is just that James Wan was like, okay, 
this movie is set in Britain. How am I going to communicate to my audience that this is that we're in London now? And the answer is a montage of the most British things you've ever fucking seen set to London Calling. It rules. It's <laughs> like, just, like it's so peak like what an American filmmaker wants to do to establish that we are now in London. It's amazing. Like thank you James. I I wouldn't have caught it if you didn't shove it in my face like this. Not like all of the people running around are speaking in English accents or anything. While we're on the subject of English accents, I really like I just want to just really hit Madison Wolf is American. Yep. Her British accent is better than some adults. Like a lot of adults. You could like you could convince me that this is just like a little girl from fucking wherever, from London. Like it's insane. She's so good. And she's so good. At, she's so fucking good in this for a kid her like especially for a kid her age. Holy shit. She she's fucking acting her ass off. She really really is and she she steals the fucking show in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Like, half my notes are just like, this child's performance is everything. I'm, like, so shocked we haven't seen her in more things, honestly, after this movie. Because this is so good. This was so good. Can we talk about the interview scene? We can absolutely talk about the interview scene. I am completely obsessed with it. It's it's shot so well. And I, I just Wait, are we to... talking about Morris interviewing Janet or Ed interviewing Janet? Ed interviewing Janet. Okay, yes, we could definitely talk about this fucking scene. Holy shit! Can okay. So first of all, the water in the mouth that yes. immediately makes it scary. It's really good in a movie to to uh, in a horror movie rather to to establish this is a thing that should not be possible, and then immediately be like, and it's fucking happening right now. Yep. And it's so scary. Oh. It's so and good, just, and the, just the way the, it's the shot. way that it is one unbroken take, and it, like you're the way that it's shot, where it's focused on Ed, but you can kind of see Janet in the background, and then slowly over the course of the scene, you just if you're not looking, it can really catch you off guard. Yeah, and you're generally like I would imagine an audience member is not really looking at her; they're looking at Ed because he's the thing that's in focus. Yeah, and so she just is slowly morphing into Bill Wilkins, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those things that like I can completely picture somebody on their first viewing not even having picked up on it. Yep, because it's so subtle and it works so well because it doesn't need to be like a flashbang like. Ed turns around and there's Bill Wilkins, you know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be a sudden scary thing. It's just this slow metamorphosis. It's so quiet and so chilling. Oh my God. I could talk for hours about that scene, dude. It's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I, I also almost just-, just said it was my favorite scene, but the last scene is my favorite scene. <laughs> I just want to also touch upon, I love Patrick Wilson's performance in this scene. Hold because pause. I love Patrick Wilson. Well, yeah, of course. Of course, Taylor. That goes without saying. That's why I didn't start off with that. It goes without saying. <laughs> but Patrick Wilson's performance in this is so good. You can tell that there has been time elapsed between The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, wherein Ed has just kind of become done with the paranormal. Yep. And done, like, like Bill Wilkins tries to do some, like, fucked up mind, like, some mind fuckery with him. Like, trying to bring up his, his abusive father and be like, oh... Your father called you Edward, and Ed is just not having it. He and it's just, just like, okay, shut the fuck up. Like, we're not just... talking about my dad right now. Like, I'm interviewing you. Like, he he very much, pretty, he basically stops short of saying shut the fuck up. <laughs> Literally, he just, he is not having it. He it rolls. It's so it's... good. At one point, he actually fucking rolls his eyes. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's so good. I also just think, like, he's not even just really done with the paranormal. He's done with just everybody. Like, the scene where he calls out that guy uh, when they're on the TV show. Oh, which my is God. Really, which is really funny in hindsight, like, knowing that the Warrens were fucking hacks. <laughs> but, like, within the context of the movie, it's like, fuck yeah, dude, defend your woman. But, like... Get it's, you a man who will start a fight with life. a skeptic. Get you a man who will start a fight with a skeptic on national TV for you. 
It's so good. Like, he's fucking done with the ghosts. He's fucking done with this man on TV who doesn't think that his wife is psychic. Like, he's just completely tired of everything. He's, like, aging into middle age, and he's just like, actually, I've decided that I'm not putting up with you hoes anymore. That's why he tries to fucking, like, break down every single door in this movie. <laughs> this movie is a war. Raw dad energy. This movie is a war between Ed Warren and every single door he sees. <laughs> it absolutely is. There is putting, no door that putting, Ed Warren sees that he is not willing to fucking ram himself into. Putting a locked door in front of Ed Warren is like waving a red cape in front of a bull. Like <laughs> <laughs> So this fucking will true. Charge. He will charge. He will charge. And like... <laughs> Oh, I, I forget if we mentioned this in our Conjuring 1 episode, but, like, Patrick Wilson, he's jacked. This is the film where he literally just wears, at one point, wears a t-shirt that is fully one size too small for him. Listen, me and Jemmy have been making fun of this fucking t-shirt for literally years. Why? Like, Ed Warren is only capable of wearing this, like, tight little white t-shirt that, like, it, like, hugs him like a fucking perfume ad. It's so funny. Why does His- he wear that? <laughs> for Lorraine, you know. I know. You, you know, know we have for her. her for that. <laughs> Every Ed, like, look in this is just so hideous. <laughs> it's so, it's, honestly, the too small t-shirt is one of his better looks just because it is not, like, com- like it's not a complete eyesore. There is one point in this movie where this man is wearing a turtleneck under a sweater. Yep. And I just, I, I want the, lo- the logic of 70s fucking fashion is so non-existent i've said this once and i'll say it a thousand times when will men start dressing like this again men what is preventing you from dressing like this like you could honestly post that on twitter with like any picture of ed warren in this movie and it would be so true like his outfits are atrocious but also like men need to start wearing that again oh my god fuck you know we what? Need to stop. We need to stop ourselves here because we'll spend the rest of the podcast just ragging on Ed Warren's fashion sense. That could be a whole podcast in and of itself. It, just yeah. one episode for every look. Yeah. Just like a deep dive into the into his wardrobe specifically. This man looks like a mess whenever his wife is not picking out his outfits. Anyway, I hate him. Also, of course, we do while we're on the subject of wardrobe, his tie matches her dress. And I hate it. I was so happy when they did it in The Conjuring 3. I was like, oh my god. The thing where he matches his tie to her dress. It's disgusting. It's hideous. It's the worst thing ever put to film. It makes me so angry because I don't have that. I think this is I think this is a great time to segue into the scene. The scene. The scene. You will seldom hear us refer to it by any other name. Anyone who has seen this movie and who knows me knows what scene I'm talking about. But for those not in the know... Excuse me, I need to go grab a pillow to scream into. Uh, there is a scene in this film wherein, in order to like comfort the family and sort of bring them together... Ed plays Elvis Presley's Can't Help Falling in Love on a guitar and sings. And my God, I cannot believe that Patrick Wilson was allowed to show off his singing skill better in The Conjuring 2 than in The Phantom of the Fucking Opera. Correct. And it's the sweetest thing ever put to scene. And when if you watch this scene, you can pinpoint the moment that Ed and Lorraine Warren stole my heart and it's the glance they exchange at one point during this scene and again people who know me and people who've seen this movie know exactly what i'm talking about i know exactly what you're talking about it is like the sappiest purest like express like expression of love exchanged between the two of them and it is it is jemmy kryptonite is what it fucking is this one glance that they exchange grabbed me by the throat, 
choke slammed me into the floor and I haven't gotten up since. No, you've you've been on the floor since 2016. Like, not to get cursed, but you guys know that scene in the Avengers where the Hulk just, like, beats the shit out of Loki? That's what this scene does to me. It is pain. It's physically painful to watch. If you and- have the kind of, like, sappiness in your heart that I and Jemmy both do. Like, it's, so much. it's just, it genu- it's genuinely hard to watch. And by that, I mean, I watch it all the time. And by that, I mean, I watch it all the time, but I watch it from, like, behind a pillow, like a fucking, like, 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 I'm afraid of it. I am like, afraid I need of to it. I'm afraid of the power partially it from it. Because if I watch this scene, just like, like a normal person, it's like looking into the sun. Like, I will go blind. It's like looking into the eyes of Medusa. Like, yeah, it's it's dangerous to watch this scene. And the end of this scene, where you see like Lorraine's sort of slow realization of like, oh my god, like I love this man so much, and I might lose him. That is where the first time I watched this movie, I started to get scared. Because I genuinely thought they were going to fucking kill this man. Cause, I'm going to be honest, Jemmy. The first time that I watched this with you, I also genuinely was like, Edward is going to die at the end of this movie. Because I think I watched this movie in like for the first time in like the perfect place to do so, wherein... I wasn't too aware of, like, the tropes of the Conjuring movies. And, like, at the point where this came out, we didn't have the Conjuring universe. We had the Conjuring and we had Annabelle, which everyone kind of universally agrees is fucking terrible. And the tropes associated with the franchise weren't really around. Like, we know at this point, no one re- no one ever really dies in a Conjuring movie, unless you're, like, a side character. They're never gonna kill the Warrens. Like, the Warrens... The real-life Warrens both did not die in any, like, paranormal uh, incident. They both died of fairly natural causes, as far as I know. Yes. So, but, like, I, when I watched this for the first time, I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, I knew that the Warrens didn't die, like, I knew fucking Ed Warren didn't die at Enfield. But my lot, like, my logical brain knew that. But, like, the part of my brain that was already, like, super invested in this movie and could tell, like, typical movie tropes, like, Characters that are set up like this typically die. (laughs) And I was like, oh my god, this man could die, and I care so fucking much about that. Like, it literally hit me like a freight train at the end of this seeing the scene for the first time. Jemmy, I just had a I just had a realization. What? Ed Warren in this movie was set up like like a female character who was going to be fridged. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. He is sorry. No, I was just saying that's exactly what I mean. Everything about the way that he is shot in this movie, particularly the scene where he plays the guitar, is just like pure, like dead wife action movie, like setup fuel. You know what I mean? You're so right. And like that's why we all got like the feeling that Ed was going to die, even though. And I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if they did that on purpose. Oh, they sure, they for sure did. They absolutely did. It's a purposeful like way to frame it. And even, that's how and- you know that like they did something really well is that like you know that these two characters are based on real people who did not die this way and yet you're still worried that the characters are going to die. That's how you know the movie is doing its job really really well. Mhm. When it gets you to turn off the part of your brain that's logical and start just tapping into that really genuine fear that like movie tropes can stir in you without you really even knowing why they're making you feel this way again like barring hereditary i have never been this scared of a horror movie because like, it's still like honestly i've seen this movie like two or three times i got like really tense at the ending when i watched this the other night because i was like like, I don't know. Like, there's just something about the ending of this movie that just makes you afraid for Ed Warren. It really, like, leaves you breathless. Like, it's it's so intense. While this we're talking about the ending of this where movie. Where they're on either side of the door. Oh, my God. The <sighs> fucking doors. 
The doors in this movie, man. First of all, like big like Doctor Who Doomsday flashbacks. Oh my god. Yeah. Second of all, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie for making me feel. The way that and like it it also just helps that I mean we talked a little bit about this in the first conjuring episode, but like Vera Farmiga and um Patrick Wilson's performances are so genuine and like raw and honest. They're so good. Then their chemistry is just as strong, if not stronger, in this movie. Like, I genuinely think... The way that Vera Farmiga cries on the other side of the door when she's fucking begging Ed not to go into the house. It's... It literally, like, it destroys me. She is giving one of, like, the rawest and, like, most genuine performances I've ever seen in a movie, period. I came out of this movie very concerned for Vera Farmiga's vocal cords because she spends, especially the last 15 minutes of this movie, just... She does a lot of screaming. Screaming. A lot of screaming. raw, guttural fucking screaming. It's like the beginning, the Amityville sequence, which we haven't even like fucking touched upon. Again, that ends with her just like giving these screams that are just so real. And it's like, God, I hope... She had so many cough drops. Yep, me too. <laughs> As someone who once made a living, or someone who was once paid to scream at people all night, like I hope she had a lot of cough drops. She worked in a she worked in a haunted house. It wasn't like yeah, she wasn't like a hip person or something. As far as you know, as far as I know. <laughs> Maybe that was just your cover story. But like, hey, I, what we're talking about at the end of this movie? No, sorry. Did you, no, you had something I, serious. I, I was just, I was just gonna talk more about how much I love them. But if you have something important to say, go off. I was just gonna start babbling about how cute they are. <laughs> if we're talking about the end of this movie, can we please talk about that fucking basement? This basement bothers me every time I watch this movie. I so hate that be- basement. I hate it. I hate it more than ISIS. I hate it so much. <laughs> at the beginning of this movie. Uh, it is established that the basement of the Hodgson house, which is the uh, the Hodgsons of the family that they're coming to help, is flooded. And at the end of the film, we see that it is like completely flooded, like up to I believe it's like in like the key scene with it, it's like up to Ed's like waist. Like yeah, it's, he's it's he's waist deep in that in that nasty, filthy water. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, people keep wading into this basement like it's nothing. Like, number one, do you know how fucking gross it would have to feel to, like, wade into that in your shoes and socks and pants? Do you know how fucking nasty that must feel? Wet socks are the worst feeling in the world. And, like, inside wet shoes, that's disgusting. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. Secondly, have you ever heard of a staph infection? (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, that's, that's, that's a little joke for my it heads out there. Oh man, I can't imagine anyone who watches, who listens to this fucking podcast likes it. Anyway, <laughs> secondly, no, but like for real, have you ever heard of a yeah. staph infection? Like, no, water is dirty as fuck. <laughs> secondly, it is December in London. Oh yeah, that no, water also. has to be so fucking cold. You know, like, I didn't even think of that, but like, yeah, it is December, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's December. Like it's December. This this is a Christmas movie. This is, by the way, the way that's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it right now is because this is a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie. Uh, James Wan on Twitter famously said he wanted The Conjuring Two to be a Christmas set and themed film, and he's correct. This is a Christmas movie. I watch it every year on Christmas Eve. Um, as is as is your fucking right. Yes. Like, it's just the worst thing, and, like, people just keep going into that basement. I'm like, please stop. Just fucking stop. out of that basement, guys. It's cold, it's dirty, you're gonna have wet socks. And there's demons in it. And there's, (laughs) on top of all of that, there's demons in there. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. It's so bad. And Ed Warren is just like, I'm I think I'm gonna walk into that water now. And it's like, motherfucker, why would you do that? I literally would rather take my chances with the demons. Valak can fucking have me, honestly. We haven't even talked about Valak. We're at like almost an hour in and we haven't fucking talked about the main villain of this movie. <laughs> would, There's I just like so to much to talk Valak. about it. I love Valak. 
So I think scary. Valak is great. So scary. Did you know that Valak was originally going to be like a horn, like a, a more typical looking demon? And at the very last minute, James Bond was like, actually, let's just do a demon nun instead. And um, Bonnie Aarons got hired to do that. She's wonderful. I love her energy. Like as a person, I was listening to an interview with her on um, the Dead Meat podcast, which if you are listening to this podcast, and you don't listen to the Dead Meat podcast. What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, and her energy is just wonderful. Also, she's, she's so, autistic. She just seems cool and fun, and like she's autistic, I, so like representation. Yeah, that also. She's like a, she's she's a member of the of the autism squad. I feel like it would be cool, like once we get a little more popular, to have her on our podcast, so we it, we can just be three autistic bitches vibing. Oh my god, that'd be so good. That'd be a she great has, time. She has such a good face, like such a fucking great face. I love her, and like okay. Moving on from Bonnie Aarons, the wonderful human being uh, who is a great actress and is wonderful. Um, Valak is like one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. So fucking scary. I hate it. I hate to look at it. Um, Bad. Yeah, just bad to look at. Don't like the face. Don't like the don't like the eyes. (laughs) Um, Don't like the don't like the way that it is very quiet and then is not quiet. I need to drag Ed Warren again. Please do. This is an this is an Ed Warren dragging podcast. But I'm the only one who could bully him. This is the thing. You can bully him too. I'm also We're the only ones who can you, bully him. You know when I bully Ed Warren, it comes from the same place as you. Exactly. It comes from a place of deep affection, but also this man painted a fucking demon nun and had the fucking gall to be like, honey, why don't you like my painting? <laughs> that was so funny. He was like, what? Did I do something wrong? And it's like, like yeah, Ed. <laughs> you painted a fucking demon. What do you, you think painted- she's going to do? Ed, you painted the scariest thing that has ever been painted. <laughs> what did he think Lorraine was going to be like? Oh, honey, it's so wonderful. Let's hang this up where our impressionable young daughter can see it. Like <laughs> his name at the bottom. He signed his name on this horrible painting that he did and hung it up in his fucking office. First like, of all, first of all, I wouldn't paint that. But second of all, if I did paint that, I wouldn't take credit for it. I would be like, I don't know, this is someone else's. <laughs> I hate this man so much. I hate him so much. He's just, he's stupid. <laughs> he's Kimbo stupid. writes. Kimbo writes. I love Ed Warren, and I love him because he's, like, he's just, he's my favorite character type, which is, like, a smart man who is also deeply, deeply stupid. Exactly. Like, is, like, is, it, what, what is it Absolutely. Is High intelligence, he, low wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Is, is he, he's intelligent enough to be able to, like, rattle off these, like, exorcism chants and to, like, know exactly how to deal with different types of demons. But he's not intelligent enough to know that maybe when I paint the scariest thing that has ever been painted, I shouldn't show it to my fucking wife and be like, what, do you have a problem with it when she's horrified by the demon I painted? I just want to like real. I I, I want to just cut in and say when he does that, it's not in like a mocking way. Like he's not mocking. He's not like no mo- he's, no. He's I'm making mocking fun of him with that voice. Yeah, he's joking. Like I think he's a, at least a little bit aware that he's made something horrifying, but not aware enough. No, he's not aware enough. There's also the added layer that like she saw it. Yeah, she she sees it the uh, Amityville scene. I just want to really quickly say about the Amityville scene. My favorite thing is that at the end of The Conjuring, which takes place in 1971, Lorraine kind of says something. I forget the line exactly, but she says something like implying that their next case is going to be Amityville. Um, cut to 1977 and they're finally getting to Amityville. <laughs> I know. I kind of love that for them. They've they had show to up wait late. six years to get there. Shows up six years late with Starbucks. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I have to say, one of the coolest shots in the movie is in the Amityville sequence, and it's when Lorraine turns around and you can see in the full-length mirror... The mirror, the yeah, I love that. ...reflection of um, Ronnie DeFeo. Yeah, Ronnie DeFeo. It's very, very good. Speaking as somebody who is from Long Island and who um, lives fairly close to Amityville, like, I just love when Amityville shows up in horror shit. Like, I know that, again, those people made all that shit up, but, like... I'm like, hee-hoo, that's where I'm from. 
Yeah, I literally was like, he who, that's where Taylor's from. It's cool. I like it. New York representation and horror. Love it. Um, I also just like, can we take a minute to just, can, can we take a horny minute? We can take a horny minute. Shoot me, mommy. Shoot me, mommy. I want her to do that to me. I, I literally think I have want her to shoot me. Um, What's also, my, hang um, on. Ed Warren, the- Ed Warren boobs. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Ed's breasts are incredible. Ed's breasts are incredible. I literally have a note that just says, I wish Lorraine Warren would shoot me with an invisible gun. I know she wouldn't, <laughs> but I want her to. This is a movie for people who love DILFs and MILFs. It's true. That's The Conjuring like franchise is just that. Yeah, The Conjuring franchise. If you love DILFs and MILFs, you're going to love The Conjuring franchise. Juicy Pat. Juicy Pat, please come on our podcast. Please don't come on our podcast, Juicy Pat. <laughs> no, I want him on our podcast. I think he deserves. I think he deserves to be on our podcast. What movie do you think he'd talk about? I mean, Ed Warren's fashion. <laughs> I would only ask him about the costumes. Juicy Pat for the Conjuring Three. <laughs> Juicy Pat for the Conjuring Three. Jesus Christ. Okay, um, horny minute over. Yes. Taylor, I think I think it's been long enough. I think we need to talk about the last scene of this movie. So there's the scene. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other scene, which is adjacent to the scene. Very adjacent to the scene. It is it is the scene two, if you will. I, I would argue that it is the scene two. Oh, I would absolutely agree. The scene two, electric boogaloo. Um, <laughs> this is the part where You think that the movie is setting itself up for one final scare, as most horror films do. We see Ed Warren, and he's putting the Crooked Man toy in the, like, collection of haunted fucking evil objects that the Warrens keep in their fucking house for some reason. Annabelle is there. Yep. So you're like, okay, I've seen movies. I know know what's about to happen. He's going to walk away, and then the Crooked Man thing is going to start going like, I'm the Crooked Man. Can I just say that toy is the scary? The Conjuring universe as a whole begs the question, what if there was a toy that was so fucked up and you let it in your house? And this movie answers that question several times. I would not have that thing in my fucking house. I would not have that thing around my children. I would not have that thing around my children. Nope. Like, anyway. Anyway. Go on. So, like, you're thinking, like, I I know what's about to happen. And then Ed Warren walks out of the room and the camera follows him and you're like, wait, hold on a second. And then the worst thing happens. <laughs> the scare is even scarier than a jump scare. Heterosexuality. Yeah. Uh, Ed and Lorraine begin dancing to Elvis Presley's I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Slow the dancing. The same song that Ed played the guitar and sang to the to the Hodgson kids. And the movie just ends with them slow dancing together. I to hate this, it. I hate I hate it so much. It's so beautiful. To this day, I have like a Pavlovian response. It makes to me can't help falling in love. Can't help falling in love, like immediately. It's like you know how in Greek mythology, if you play the harp for Cerberus, he'll, like, chill? <laughs> if you play Can't Help Falling in Love with Me, I will just become, like, a puddle. I will, like, become a puddle on the floor and you will easily defeat me. That is, is my weakness. The, it is, in fact, the anthem of all of your headships. It is. Actually, I remember, um... Specifically because of this movie. When I made my WandaVision playlist, uh, friend of the pod, Felix... <laughs> was like i knew you'd put can't help falling in love on here and i'm like of course i did yeah like why would you not this is one of the most important things to happen in any movie i would argue this is cinema it 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 literally is it's pure poetic cinema at its finest and it makes me sob like a little bitch every time i watch it It, those damn straight people are just so in love with each other i'm heterophobic this movie made me heterophobic I can't believe you weren't heterophobic before this movie. I mean, this movie just really cemented it. Like, you know, I said it cemented me as a horror fan. It also cemented me as a, like, grade-A heterophobe. I just think that the straights are disgusting. Like, 
Why do they do this? Why do they dance so sweetly and look at each other with such love in their eyes? Ah, and it's Christmas, of course. There's a Christmas tree in the background and stockings over the fire. Yep. Oh my fucking god. There's a Christmas tree in the background. Ugh. I hate them so much. I hate them so much. I love that this happens every time we talk about The Conjuring. It's like, oh, we spend, like, about, like, 25% of the podcast talking about, like, oh, it was scary. These are, like, really good things that happen that James Wan uses the camera to do. And, like, these are really interesting, scary things. And then we spend the rest of the podcast being, like, frothing at the mouth over the straits. I mean, I think it's just... I think it's correct. I think we're right. I think we should do it. No, we are correct to do it. But I think this is the only way to discuss this movie, frankly. If you don't spend most of your Conjuring review talking about the straights, then, like, are you even reviewing the Conjuring series? I mean, there were so many reviews coming out after this movie where, like, people were just talking about this and how much it improved the movie to have, like, these, these characters that you really care about and you really think are in danger and who come out on top at the end. It's it's wonderful. Like look, listen, I understand that horror in horror at large is a very cynical genre. Not a lot of the endings are going to be happy. I'm a sucker for a happy ending. I just it reminds me of the way that we talked about the ending of Brain Dead. Yes. Like sometimes it's just nice for it to be happy at the end and for the like the leads to just be like they get out of it okay and they walk away hand in hand and they slow dance and they kiss and then everything's fine like listen i i got into some discourse on the twitter oh god because of the ending of the chucky series which i loved and i thought was a very good ending a lot of people were very angry that there was no i'm not going to spoil the ending of the chucky finale but there something really bad happens to a fan favorite character and i was fully like no like you guys like in horror bad things happen to people frequently and like Mm -hmm. if you if you're a horror fan and you're like mad that bad things happen to characters like sorry you're wrong (laughs) saw fandom saw fandom i'm looking at you again i do call this the saw fandom like problem wherein people get so wrapped up in screaming like x character didn't deserve it that they don't they fail to realize that like that's the point but like like while I am fully in favor of bad things happening to characters who didn't deserve it, sometimes it really is just nice for things to work out okay. Yeah. And like I I, I understand. I, I I understand what horror of a, as a genre typically is, but like I just like the conjuring movies. I just think that they deserve to get and but like on the other note, like the conjuring is the one franchise where like if bad things happen to the Warrens, like I genuinely will like biting and killing and violence. We will choose violence on that day. Yeah, like, I, I, everything that I said about the ending of the Chucky finale, I'm throwing out the window when it comes to the Conjuring series. If you hurt Ed or Lorraine, I will eat you. <laughs> I will, you will go into my mouth and I will swallow you whole. Like, I will, I will commit cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. Sorry. <laughs> I, the, we'll, we'll probably get more into detail with that when we talk about the Conjuring 3, but like... Oh, God, I just want good things for them. They deserve it. They're just nice and they like each other. They deserve it. They deserve it. Anyway. Anyway. I just, can I just say, I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I owe so much to this movie. I just want to end on that note. Like, I, thank I you, wanna, James. Can I just say, I want to kiss this movie on the mouth. Thank you, James Wan, for taking everything you did in The Conjuring and elevating it to a new level, making it amazing, and giving us probably the best horror sequel in horror. Period, babes. Let's talk about some Letterboxd reviews. Yes. So I do a segment on this podcast called Live, Laugh, Letterboxd, where I read funny Letterboxd reviews, and I had to sift through a lot of horny reviews. (laughs) Good for this particular movie. It was a lot of people. And like I said before, we had our horny minute. We confined ourselves to a horny minute, but the people on Letterboxd did not have a horny minute. They had a horny lifetime. Good for them. I support them. Annie says, weird how no one else is talking about the part where Patrick Wilson gets possessed by the ghost of Elvis. Yeah. 
It is pretty weird. <laughs> we you do get do com- a really bad Elvis impression and it rules. We do uh, get confirmation of the ghost of Elvis in The Conjuring 3, but we'll get there when we get there. We will get there when we get there. I'd also like to say, um, in the vein of Patrick Wilson doing impressions of famous uh, singers, uh, he also does a really good um, Freddie Mercury. Oh my god. <laughs> and there is, there is video footage of that if you look that up on YouTube. King. <laughs> like King mustache moments. and everything. And like the- King! The he wears the like the bright yellow jacket outfit. Juicy Pad does say gay rights. It actually. rolls. Like good for him. Love this for him. I simply think that um Ed should do that in the Conjuring 4. I hope the Conjuring 4 is the werewolf movie that I was promised the Conjuring 3 would be. The Conjuring 4 is like 80s and like Freddie Mercury around. It I will be out of character, I think, for Ed Warren. I just I just think we know Patrick Wilson has the range, and I think he should do it. Agreed. Anyway. <laughs> Rami Malek. Oh, no, no, no. Was it, was it Rami Malek? It Who was Rami Malek. Quake in your boots. <laughs> yeah. Fuck Rami. Fuck Rami Malek. My <laughs> hashtag not my Freddie Mercury. It's Patrick True. Wilson. Patrick says, a way better Amityville horror movie than the actual Amityville horror movie. Three and a half Very stars. Very true. John says, whatever they're paying Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, it is not enough. It literally is not enough. Both of them need raises. I don't care if they're both getting like $10 million. They need $20 million each. Like. Amaya says, if I decide this is a rom-com, then a rom-com it is. It is a rom-com, though. Tara says, Lorraine, when I was a little girl, I saw an angel. Me staring at Lorraine's face. Holy shit. What a coincidence. Guess what I'm looking at right now. Okay, you know if Ed was there, he would say something like that, though. That's so true. Can I just say also the parallel little stories that Ed and Lorraine both tell Janet? Disgusting. About their paranormal experiences as a child and then finding the one person that they could truly confide in. And marrying them. I'm jumping off of something. I hate it so much. Me too. I'm coming with you. Hand in hand. Hand in unlovable hand. (laughs) God. It's like the ending of Hannibal. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Except instead of being a gay metaphor, the straights pushed us to this. It's true. Gabby says, I watched this with my friends and a majority of our conversation through it was just me saying Lorraine is hot and she is. I will say it. True. Five stars. Can I just say really quick? Yeah. As much as Ed's fashion sense is a fucking nightmare in this movie, especially, Lorraine, serving looks. Holy shit. Looks her, like Amityville, her Amityville outfit, on point. Beautiful. Love the coat. The, the like, lavender coat that she wears, oh my god. Show-stopping. Incredible. The power that holds. The influence. I love any, like, 60s, 70s outfit with a little necktie in the front. Vera Farmiga looks beautiful throughout this whole movie. Oh my god. Anyway, sorry. Go on. I just needed to be gay for a minute. <laughs> we already had our horny minute. I was- I Listen, I'm just being chastely gay. Every minute is a horny minute when Vera Farmiga is involved. Very true. So this next one is another one where it's like, they gave it a low star rating, which like, unforgivable, but also like, I will forgive you because you said something funny. Mm-hmm. Sri says, pause. They got British ghosts now? <laughs> One star. Oh my god. See, that just reminds me of that um that one post that's like, wait, the Pope's got hoes now? Crawling all over him like weevils. Like weevils. <laughs> They're called no, curls, sorry. Th- no, it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's thoughts on the Pope. The Pope has thoughts now? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the post. Wonderful. Izzy says. Oi, mister, you me dad? (laughs) (laughs) Oi, mister, you me dad? Apologies to friend of the pod, L for the accent. (laughs) Every time I do a bad British accent, I always feel the need to apologize to her. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) But really, though, oi, mister, you me dad? That was what just that's just what Janet said to fucking Ed. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I said to Ed and Lorraine. Truly. Oi, Mr. You be dad? 
<laughs> oh, I missed it. You mean parents? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> you mean mom and dad? <laughs> Sorry, Elle. Jin says, the evil nun in this is the only Jared Leto performance that I can stomach. Don't diss Bonnie Aarons like that. I know, but I had to put Don't it Don't do that to time. her. She doesn't deserve that. She doesn't deserve to be compared to Jared Leto. Bonnie Aarons, sweetie, I am so sorry that an ugly bitch like that would even say that. Uh, and finally, Bob says, maybe my favorite Conjuring movie? Hashtag free Annabelle. Five stars. Don't free that little fucking gremlin. Which, like, do not free her. <laughs> Keep that bitch locked away. Listen, I am a prison abolitionist, except when it comes to Annabelle. Keep her locked the fuck up. Remember that time in 2020 where it looked like Annabelle escaped? I miss, I miss that. I miss, I, I think I miss she the, should have escaped. I wonder where she is now. I miss the vibes. Where is she? She's probably, like, in the Bahamas somewhere. Oh, God. Oh, to be Annabelle in the Bahamas. <laughs> Truly. Imagine you're just like staying at a sandals resort and you're just like walking up and down the beach and you just see this fucking Raggedy Ann doll in like a beach chair <laughs> sipping like a like a fucking like Copacabana. Oh god. O to B. <laughs> then I'll know. Then I'll know I've reached heaven. Truly. So, Jemmy, what is your star rating for this movie? I I would love to guess. I'm sure that it's it's very low. Because I don't think you'll like this movie that much. If I ever give this movie anything less than five stars, listener, I'm looking you dead in the eyes right now. Call the fucking police. <laughs> Something wrong is happening to me. Yeah. like It is a cry for help. It is a genuine cry for help if not, I give no, this no, movie no. Don't anything call the before star. Call an exorcist because she is possessed. Call both just in case. Call Ed and Lorraine Warren. I mean, call them anyway. <laughs> Send them to me anyway. <laughs> tell them their their long lost daughter is here waiting yeah for real have them perform an exorcism I want some Anastasia shit with the Warrens me too anyway I also give it five stars good movie good movie very movie, fucking movie good. good movie so good six ten stars fuck yeah it. like five hundred fucking stars this movie rules I love this movie so much and I owe so much to this movie like I cannot fathom ever giving it anything lower than five stars. Cinema at its fucking finest. Unironically. All right. Well, next time we are continuing to be in the Christmas spirit, perhaps delving even deeper into the Christmas spirit with the original Christmas spirit. We are watching 1984's A Christmas Carol. That was a really good pun, Jemmy. Thank you. You all know a Christmas Carol. I don't. It doesn't need any fanfare. Like you all know, fucking you all fucking know this story. We all it's have our versions. George C. Scott. Yeah, it's actually it's my it's like my version of the Christmas Carol that like I grew up with. So yep, that's it for next time. So in the meantime, you can give us those five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Do whatever it is you do on any platform to say, hey, I like this podcast. It helps so much, and we appreciate it. We appreciate all of you, even if you don't do anything. We just like that people like to listen to us. It's true. There's people out there who like to listen to our unhinged ravings, and that's great. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter for more unhinged ravings, and we also have an Instagram. Again, one of these days, Taylor will make a TikTok. Both of them are at FGFpod, so follow us. Yes, join us. Uh, and we'll see you next time for A Christmas Carol. Yay! Bye, everybody! Bye, guys! <laughs>